Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Hey, would you guys remain standing with me as we read the text this morning? Oh, Jim, you got it. Nathan looked at me and said, do you know who's reading? I said, no. He said, neither do I. Okay, Jim. Jim, it's you, buddy. All right, morning. Uh, Of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jim, can I have you read chapter 3, verse 10? If you don't, it won't make any sense what I'm about to say. (laughs) Thomas gave you the wrong verse, buddy. We'll blame it on Thomas since he's not in here to defend himself. Okay. All right, 310, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray together one more time. Father, we uh, just want to be able to stand in awe of your word this morning. It is quick, it is powerful, it is life-giving, and we know that. And so what we need more than anything is just to be shaped by it to sit underneath its rule and reign and to let your spirit do uh, your work in our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so I pray that whatever happens today, we can just sit in this text and we can understand the beauty of your design and your purpose and your plan and that our, our perspective, our understanding of it, our view of it would elevate and then our life would follow suit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Uh, I'm making fun of Pastor Nathan for wearing his shorts to church today, but that was, uh, he's not preaching, so he's on vacation, so he can kind of get away with that. That's why you're stuck with me. It has been a minute since I've done this. It has been a necessary minute since I have done this. I don't know, it, we won't get into it all right now, but the Georges have had a very rough year, and so it's been necessary for me to kind of take a break from this. Um, and a couple of people today have asked me, they're like, come on, man, you ready for this? And I'm like, no, I'm not ready for this. And they're like, it's just like riding a bike. Preaching is just like riding a bike. Let me tell you what happened when I rode a bike. I tried to cut off my finger. I have at least one concussion from a bike ride, and I ruptured my spleen on a bike. I'm really hoping this isn't like riding a bike, okay? Hoping this is a whole lot smoother and a whole lot easier and no internal bleeding happens as a result of what goes on here today. Um, I want to I want to read this whole text with you today uh, in chapter 3. I want to read start at verse number 1 and kind of walk through this. We're going to kind of key in on verse number 10. Uh, it's pretty powerful. It's, it's a matter of fact, it's just mind-blowing to me. Um, but I want to walk through this. Uh, so, so let's just start up here in verse number 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, what's the next thing you see in verse number one? Anybody there? It's a hyphen. See the hyphen? Everybody's Bible have a hyphen? If you doesn't, you have a broken Bible. I'm just kidding, you don't. Um, the hyphen means this. Have you ever noticed how preachers get sidetracked? Have you ever noticed how preachers get sidetracked? Nathan can't see if you shake your head. Shake your head, okay? Answer it truthfully and honestly. This is the non-lying hour, right? We've got to be honest. So the truth is most preachers get sidetracked, and so what's going to happen here is Paul starts a prayer, and he doesn't pick it back up until verse 14. Notice in verse 14, he says the same thing. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he, he says, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he kind of stops that, that line of thinking, and he moves into this. He says, assuming that you have heard 
of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but I want, you, I want to make sure that you know that God gave me a certain responsibility, and that responsibility, that grace was given to me for your benefit. Okay, So keep walking. Then he says this, how that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This mystery is kind of a confusing term, so just hang on to it. Put it in your pocket for just a second. As I have written briefly, okay, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what are we saying? Mystery is this. Mystery isn't something that cannot be understood. It's just something that is at some point hidden, and then it becomes revealed. Okay? So think like this. Uh, if you were to step outside right over here, I think you could probably see the Devon Tower. Is that correct? Anybody know if I'm correct? Or did I just make that up? This is the non-lying hour. Don't let me lie, okay? So if you step out, it's that way. It is. But we're going to step out that way because that's the front door, okay? We're going to look that way because that's where the Devon Tower is. And you can see it, right? How many of you know what the Devon Tower is? How many of you are confused and didn't know we were going to do geography in church? Oh, wait. We're going to do agriculture too today. We are in for it, okay? So if you look, you can see the top of the Devon building. But the closer you get, the more you see, Right? So mystery in the scripture is this, is that it is the plan and the will of God that at some points in time past have been hidden, but as history progresses, it becomes more and more revealed, okay? So it begins to make more sense, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying there's this mystery, this working of God that God has been up to through all ages, and it's just now starting to show itself and make sense to his people, okay? And I have been given the responsibility and the grace of giving that to you, Paul says, okay? So he says this, this is the mystery then in verse 6. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, they're members of the same body, they're partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, Jew and Gentile now are on the same footing, which is just revolutionary, and we'll kind of talk about that in just a minute. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He says in verse 8, to me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone that is what is the plan of this mystery that has been hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then he kind of comes to this point. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Pay attention to verse 11. This was according to the what? Eternal purpose. History is not just a collection of events. It is moving on God's timeline. And he says, this isn't new. This isn't plan B. This is what God has always been up to from the beginning. Okay? And so he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we kind of read the text. Now indulge me for just a second so I can give you my farming understanding. Okay? I'm a city boy, grew up southeast side of Oklahoma City. Okay, I'm city through and through. I don't need farms. I don't like farms. I don't want to be on a farm. Animals scare me to death, okay? Absolutely to death. Do you know what I hold in my hand? Corn. Tomato. Who said a tomato? Uh, that was my son. I don't know who raised him. Um, this is corn, right? Feels like a trick question, doesn't it? Okay. Technically, this is corn. And so far, my farmer buddies would be really proud of me that I've got this far, okay? Okay, but as we peel this, what happens? Anybody know what this piece is? This is the husk. Have you heard this before, Jordan? This is the husk, okay? And as you continue to peel this, and I don't know how long this will take. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to find this. But somewhere inside of here, somewhere, 
inside of here is real corn. Don't eat this. Don't eat this. How many of you knew that? You guys are looking at me like, I should have known this before, aren't you? Should have known. Okay. I didn't know. I know I did know. Have you ever tried to eat a tamale? And you didn't, and you were the, it was like the first one you ever ate, and you like, you didn't know? Okay. Okay. So apparently only I'm, <laughs> I'm the only one. Okay. Thanks for making me feel alone in a community and a family of believers. Somewhere in here, there's the corn. These are not the corn. These are part of the corn. They're the way that we get the corn. They're, they protect the corn, all this kind of stuff, right? Everybody understanding? But they are not the corn. We don't eat this. You receive truth. I receive truth, especially gospel truth and biblical truth, just like corn comes to us. It comes to us in layers, a cultural layer, multiple cultural layers. But what happens is this. Sometimes we mistake the husk for the real corn, right? So let me see if I can explain this to you. So I grew up on the southeast side of Oklahoma City in a very poor neighborhood, kind of poor family, um, hardworking father, uh, passive-aggressive. My mother was really cool, by the way, but she was passive-aggressive. So I had this really aggressive father, and I had this really passive-aggressive mom, and so you can really think of how that went down a lot of times. It was fun to watch. You just kind of had to kind of clear back, right? And they were like the hardworking people. I mean, they just loved each other. They were incredible family. We lived in a, in a place where most homes were broken, and so we we kind of grew up, and we grew up in this very conservative church. Um, I grew up in the early, late 80s, the whole 80s, really. Uh, don't laugh. I'm not, you guys laughed at how old I was. That hurts. Um, and so I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and all of this kind of stuff. And kind of where I grew up, I went to a school, a small independent school that was very diverse, very multicultural, these kinds of different things. And so all of these pieces now are how I receive the gospel and its truths, okay? I receive these things in these layers through these parents. And so you take anybody in this room and you add it and you say, we add Robbie to the mix, okay? Well, Robbie grew up in Oklahoma City too, right? That's right. But he grew up in a different part of Oklahoma City than I did. He grew up to do with different parents than I did, I'm assuming, Okay, that's right. Okay, and so you understand. Now we start adding these layers. <laughs> it's funny you should mention it. We're brothers, and I never told you. Ah, so wait, wait till next week. More truth gets revealed at Grace Harbor. Okay, I mean, you add Nathan into this mix, right? And, and, and listen, he has a first name, but I'm only going to call him Boonster because he's been hugging me uh, uh, without, without permission lately. And so Boonster is from New York. You add Ted to the mix, and Leanne, they're from California. What? And they wound up at, how did that happen? They wound up in Oklahoma, and all of these different layers, right? And what happens is those aren't bad. Do this. They're not bad, okay? That's just the way things work, right? That would happen whether you grew up in American culture, whether you grew up in Indonesian culture, whether you grew up in Asian culture, whether you grew up in Middle Eastern culture. That would always happen no matter where you're from. We always receive the truth that we receive based through these filters and through these layers of a cultural understanding. That's just the way it works. So if we give you a fact and we say that at the end of this basketball year, which I know none of you really care about this, and Brent is the only one who cares, and he's in kids, but if I told you that the Los Angeles Lakers won the national championship, we would be excited, and Brent would be excited for all kinds of different reasons than I would be, but I would still be excited. And it's because our layers, same truth, but our layers of culture kind of interpret the way that we celebrate that. Not bad. Here's the problem. Sometimes the layers become more important than the corn. 
the cultural understandings of truth that we have sometimes become more important than the truth themselves. And what happens is whenever we elevate our cultural layers above the gospel and biblical truths that are clearly revealed in scripture, what happens is in, in, like automatically the actual truths of the gospel become diminished because we've elevated something that didn't belong there and can't hold its place. This is very important. and This, this may seem like all random stuff to you, but I need you to understand today. This is important right now because we have a lot of people who are fighting over the wrong things. The cultural layers, and they're not bad. Listen, you can have them. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. It doesn't mean that you can't have them. Have them, just hold them in their proper place and understand that, hey, all of my layers and my cultural understandings of perception are always subject to examination, and nothing is not on that table. Listen, if you got something that you're holding on tight to that isn't gospel, biblical truth, and you're afraid to put it on the table to be examined, my friend, then it is holding too high of a place in your heart. Okay, so what we're saying is this. What we want to do is we want to peel back the layers and we want to say, you know what? Sometimes we have to peel the layers to get down to what's real. Okay, so what I want to do today is this, is I want to just, we're going to deal with some of the layers, but not real intentionally. What I want to do is I kind of just want to get to the corn because I think the corn is beautiful. I think the gospel truth is so beautiful that it will pull our hearts in without anybody having to be behind us, driving us toward it. Okay? So let's do this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10 is kind of a weighty, I mean heavy, kind of thick passage of Scripture, okay? Uh, you ever heard how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So I wasn't the only one that was told this, okay? There is a lot of meat right here, okay? So what we're going to do is it's kind of going to be kind of nerdy, and my homeschool teachers might be really proud of me, maybe, maybe not. I might really set myself up for failure here. But what I want to do is I just kind of want to walk you through the pieces of this verse because this is really important, okay? And so we're going to kind of be really methodical here with the text because I want you to understand how it goes. So anybody find the verb in there? Take a stab. Homeschool kids, this is your chance to pass the test. If you pass now, you don't have to do any work this week. Just kidding. I lied to you. Made known. Okay? Everybody agree? How many of you are confused? How many of you have no clue what a... Listen, man, I took you through geography, agriculture, and English today. Man, I've got this down. Should have been a teacher. Okay. Anyway, so what we're talking about right here is something is being made known. Everybody with me? It is being revealed. It's being made clear. It's being clearly communicated. Something is being made known. Okay, so what is the noun that we're talking about here that it's referring to? Anybody want to take a guess? The wisdom of God. Notice the clarifying statement. It is the manifold wisdom of God. So what does manifold mean? Manifold means the multi-layered, the multifaceted. It means it takes into account all things. It has this kind of concept of even multicolored. It has this concept of being a wide variety and diverse. And so what we're talking about here is we're talking about an attribute of God in the wisdom and we're talking about a specific clarifier here that says the manifold wisdom of God. So when we think about the wisdom of God, it's kind of this, 
character, this attribute, this divine perfection that we're talking about, most of us kind of wouldn't have that on top of our list. If you read like a book on the attributes of God, the wisdom of God is probably not going to be on the top of the list, his omniscience and his knowledge and that kind of stuff. But his wisdom seems to be just a little bit different. But, and we understand that he gives wisdom to humans and all this kind of stuff. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God, right? He'll give it to you. He gives to all men liberally and that kind of stuff. But what Paul is saying here is this. We're not talking about the wisdom that God gives gives to men, we are talking about the wisdom that God himself possesses, this infinite wisdom, this, uh, this wisdom that he operates by. In particular, this particular case, we're talking about his, his manifold wisdom. It has the idea of many, multicolored, based, broad in its scope, layered in its depth, okay? Wisdom isn't so much this, this kind of knowledge. What it is, is it's this skill, this know-how. It's the practical use of knowledge. If you read scripture, scripture will often put wisdom Wisdom and knowledge together. And the reason why is because they're not necessarily the same thing. You ever met anybody who's really smart but really dumb? Don't point fingers, okay? But you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Common sense isn't so common, right? So you understand what I'm saying, right? You can know a lot of stuff and you can still be lacking in some areas, all right? So knowledge is not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge, okay? So what he means is it means skill. It means putting this into practice. And when we talk about this, Job says that God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Paul says that he is the only wise God. The psalmist says that his understanding is infinite. Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, over and over, the scripture repeats this. His wisdom flows from his knowledge, his omniscience. It means he knows all. Now, this is hard, okay, but just bear with me for just a second. God knows everything that actually is and everything that could possibly be. That's what omniscience means. I mean, that just blows my mind, okay? And we won't unpack that all right here. Not my time frame. I don't even know that I could do it even if I wanted to. But he knows all that is actual and all that is possible. And he knows this intuitively. And from this ultimate knowledge flows his wisdom, this proper use of knowledge. So think of it in terms of know-how. Think of it like this, that it means that he desires the perfect ends and he uses the perfect means to get there. He takes into account all that is possible. Everything is in absolute focus. Everything is in, all the pieces are in proper relationship to one another. It means that he desires the perfect ends and he uses the perfect means to accomplish those ends. Tozier speaks of his wisdom as being the, his inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of obtaining it. God's wisdom is, means that he makes choices and actions that always pursue what is ultimately best. That's what it means, okay? It means he orders everything so that it obtains the best possible outcome. It doesn't just mean that he has in mind the best possible outcome. It means that he uses the best possible means to get there. So let's debate how we get to the Devon Tower. Anybody want to debate? I like geography. I'll race you. Okay? I like to drive fast and I like to take shortcuts. So let's race. Okay? We all might have these different, and we could debate that and all that stuff. What we're saying is this. When we talk about the wisdom of God, it means this. That he looks at all of the pieces and he looks at time in front of us and he looks at time behind us. And he puts all of these pieces together and he welds all of these things together so that they work out perfectly just as he designed it for its ultimate good and his ultimate glory. What that means is this, is that everything is working. Creation isn't just this collection. History isn't just this collection of events. It's all moving according to plan and according to schedule. And all of this is going to one day be abundantly clear to us. Probably not now, though, right? 
Man, anybody ever thought this? Sometimes God may be wise, but he don't seem so wise. I mean, it just doesn't take much of a thinking man to look at this world and go, this world isn't what it's supposed to be, right? It's just not what it's supposed to be. Hey, listen, listen, sit in on this. There is coming a day when all of this will make sense. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Have you just looked at life every now and then and go, this, this is chaos. I don't know that I will ever understand why this happened, how this happened, what the good is in this that happened. I don't know any of that. Hey, here's what we're saying when we talk about the manifold wisdom of God, that one day we're going to look at this, we're going to see this, and it's going to make sense, and we're going to see it with absolute clarity that God wasn't off his rocker. He gets it, he knows it, and he worked it just like he was supposed to work it. So I get it, right? So his manifold wisdom now, it's being made known, but it's not just being made known to us. Who's it being made known to? The rulers and authority in where? This is kind of a weird statement right here, right? You think Paul's kind of weird? He's definitely weird. We don't use this phrase much, and so it can be kind of confusing, but Paul uses it a couple of times in the book of Ephesians, and he uses this heavenly places as the space where Jesus is in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, you can look it up on your own. He also uses this term, heavenly places, for principalities and rulers of wickedness and darkness that we wrestle against in Ephesians chapter 6. So what he does is this, is he paints this picture of the spiritual realm, heavenly beings, holy angelic beings, unholy angelic beings, living and moving and being and acting in this realm that you and I cannot see. When we talk about the heavenly places, it's not so much a location as it is a realm in which spiritual activity is at work. Now, listen, I know this sounds archaic. I know this sounds really old. This sounds like, hey, man, that's what people long ago believed. We're enlightened now. We don't believe. You, I remember, you remember you read at least enough of history, right, to understand that, hey, man, if it rained, a lot of people thought that the rain God helped that. If you had a child, it was the rain God or the, or, no, it wasn't the rain God that did that, right? <laughs> if you had a child, it was the Fertility, baby God, <laughs> I don't know what it was, right? The fertility God. Some of you are way too quick with that because you got way too many children. I ain't saying any names. But, or, it, or it was the fertility demon and gave you too many. I don't know, right? So, uh, I mean, and so you go out, you win a battle, right? You fight this battle out on the battlefield and you win and they would attribute that to some spiritual being at work. And hey, here's what Paul is saying. I know it's weird, but there really are spiritual forces at work that you and I can't see. I mean, have you ever, I mean, just worked hard to make progress spiritually and not made it like there was something fighting against you? There is. There literally is something fighting against us, okay? And so here, this, you got to sit in this because this is mind-blowing because Paul is telling us that the manifold wisdom, the 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 understanding that God is working everything to his ultimate end, it's not just being made known to us, it's being made known to the spiritual realm. They're looking at this and they're understanding, hey, God's plan works. I don't know all there is to know about angels. The Bible isn't really clear. Matter of fact, the Bible, if you try to trace out angels and things in the Bible, it gets really weird. But the truth of the matter is we know this, they're not omniscient. They don't know everything. 
Peter even says that the angels desire to look into your reception of the gospel. Just think about that for just mind blown, right? And here what we're talking about is this, is that the holy angels and the unholy angels, they will look at this and they will see that God knew what he was doing and that everything will work. And listen, man, I, I don't really have the brain capacity to think about the holy angels and all that kind of stuff, but this makes sense for me for the unholy angels. For the rulers of darkness in this present place, listen, man, when they look at the manifold wisdom of God, they understand this, that their kingdom is coming to an end. This will not go on forever. Death, disease, decay, heartache, brokenness, loneliness, sinfulness, wickedness, darkness won't always last. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. There's a new man. It's his body, and he will make all things new. Listen, my friend, when they see this, they get the word that God is not off his rocker. It all makes sense, and it's all going according to schedule and according to plan and it will not fail it will work man communicate that to the spiritual world so how if you were going to tell the spirit this is really weird <laughs> as i'm saying it i'm thinking about it this is really weird how would you communicate the manifold wisdom of god to the spiritual world i'd send him an email <laughs> Right? Maybe a text. How many of you are like, you like to talk on the phone? Anybody like to talk on the phone? Uh, okay, we'll forgive you. I think text is the best invention ever. I know you can really miscommunicate in it. I really get it. I understand it. But I, I don't have to be seen. <laughs> I don't have to stumble over my words. I can hide and my thumbs are fast. So I, I like it, right? So how would you communicate this to the realm of the spirits? Paul says, God does it through his church. Read that again. Really? Through his church? Paul ever been to church? I mean, I can understand if God was using creation to communicate his manifold wisdom, right? Creation makes sense. I mean, you can get in all the science you want to, but this, like, this creation is mind-blowing. You move the earth just a little bit this way, that way, or that way. Like if some of you hung the earth like you hang your pictures in your house, we would be toast, right? I mean, you just move it slightly off axis. I mean, we're over. We're done, right? This is like, like the, just the symmetry in creation. And I don't, I, just, I don't even know enough. But what I do know is that, man, this is crazy. And so if God used the, his, his creation to demonstrate his manifold wisdom, and other scripture says that he does, but if that's what he used, that would make sense to me. I get that. That, to me, communicates wisdom. Or if we talked about his divine providence, you know those moments where you really need God to intervene, and he does? I was driving through Moore last night at 11 o'clock at night with a trailer that had no lights. You know what Moore is, right? Moore is a city that just loves to give tickets. If you're from Moore, forgive me. It's just truth. Don't hate me, okay? They love to give tickets, right? I give tickets. The policemen are just sitting there like, hey, who can I give a ticket to today? The guy with no trailer lights. That's who, right? And I have no headlight, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and where do I drive by? Listen, I'm trying to duck through more so that nobody sees me, and I'm just trying to get back to the shop so I can go home and take a nap before I have to see you people today. And so I, I drive, and look, right over here is there's this cop, and he's just waiting on somebody. I'm like, oh, he's waiting on me. That's who he's waiting on. And I drive by, and I just know, like, I'm not going to get home till 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm driving by him. 
And listen, I don't know if this is divine providence or not, but it feels like divine providence when he doesn't pull you over. Amen? I mean, right? I mean, when he stayed there, I was like, Jesus, you are good. <laughs> right? You are good. And so, I mean, if we're talking about that, I can kind of understand that communicating his wisdom. I get that. But the church, now listen, we can love the church and be constructively critical, can't we? I know this is kind of hard to do today. We feel like if we love something, we can't be critical of it, but we can. We need to be. Hey, man, the church, have you, have you realized this? Church is messy. There are some people that some of their deepest wounds are from the church. And we'll be honest with you, okay? We'll be real honest. There are some people who leave the church because of its teachings and because of its principles. But by far, I mean by far, the majority of people who leave church don't leave it because of its principles or its teachings or its leader. They leave it because they got hurt. Because somebody kicked them while they were down. Listen, I've got scars. We won't take time to talk about whose wounds are deeper, but the reality is the church is a broken mess. It is a mixture of people who come from broken backgrounds. And this is astonishing to me that God says he uses his church to declare and make known his beautiful, wonderful, broad wisdom to the angelic beings. And it just, I mean, think about this. Really, I mean, just really simply, much of what we do as a church isn't all that revolutionary. I know we're fighting against the powers of darkness and all that kind of stuff, right? But do you understand preaching isn't revolutionary? A holy book isn't revolutionary? Gathering with people who believe the same thing you do isn't revolutionary? There are people all over the world that are doing this day in and day out who believe absolutely different things than we do, who worship absolutely different gods than we do, who have absolutely different holy books than we do. What we do isn't necessarily all that revolutionary. So why would God use the church to make his manifold wisdom known? Not only that, it's just broken. It's extremely messy. It's full of contradictions and corruption, sinfulness and brokenness, deep wounds. Why would God use this? We're a community of people at our very best, people who not only need grace, but great grace. Do you understand? We don't just need grace. We need great grace. We need amazing kinds of grace. I mean, this is who we are. And, when you, and so when you sit in what Paul is talking about here, you understand that what the scriptures are teaching here about the church is that she is the very means by which God is clearly communicating his manifold wisdom, not only to the world, but also to the powers that run the world. I mean, how big is this? This is crazy. And what happens is this. If you drill deeper down into this context, you understand that it has almost nothing to do with what the church does. Like, we're not talking about its mission. We're not talking about its purpose. We're not talking about its vision. When you drill down into the text, what Paul is talking about here is the pieces that make up the church is what demonstrates and communicates the wisdom of God. What do you mean the pieces that make up the church? Back up to chapter 2. I promise we'll go through this fast. I'm almost done. We'll land this plane. Look in chapter 2, verse number 11, because this is really a, what we read in Ephesians chapter 3 is really a continuation of chapter 2. And so what Paul is talking about here is this, is he's talking about who makes up the church. And the fact that it is these people who are so entirely different from each other that make up this new body, this new man, this new humanity. 
It is the fact that God pulls people from every area, nook, and cranny of life, and he welds them together in this new body. That's what Paul says, declares the wisdom of God. Watch verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that one, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh who are Gentiles. Anybody know? Anybody who wasn't a Jew? Raise your hand. Unless you're Jewish, don't raise your hand. Okay, I don't want to confuse you, right? But most of us are Gentiles, okay? And so what he's talking about here is he's talking to a specific group of people. And notice what he says. You were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision. Notice they were called the uncircumcision. It was a term of derision. It's when Chelsea has some kind of short joke for me. Like every week, Chelsea reminds me that I'm not taller than most of the third graders in our church. Appreciate. I mean, it's a term of derision, right? Diminutive. I mean, I could go on and on. For I got some deep wounds here, Chelsea. I'm just saying, God can reconcile us, but right now I got some wounds, okay? They're called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, the Jews were looking at you and at the Gentiles and going, you're not us. <laughs> you're not me. I'm better. And here he goes on and he, he describes this. He says, remember that at times you were what? separated from Christ. You were what? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, want, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. What kind of peace? Our peace between one another who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile now, are both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of what? Hostility. I mean, I don't even think we can wrap our minds around how hostile Jews were towards anybody who weren't Jews. And what Paul is saying here is that everything that was dividing you has now been destroyed in Jesus Christ. You who were entirely separate, entirely different, have now been brought together and made one new man. And so he goes on and he says this, for he, um, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, to what? Jew and Gentile. And he makes peace between who? Not just peace with God, but peace with people who were absolutely at odds with one another, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility, the things that divided them, and they divided them deeply, harshly, extremely. He says those have been killed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have been put to death. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Those who were far off are Gentiles. Those who are near that he preached peace to are the Jews. And he says, for through him we both, all of us, equal, have equal access into the spirit and one spirit to the Father. You are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. But listen to this. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. Privileges and rights that once only belonged to Jewish people are now yours. Because God is not just Israel's God. He is God over all nations. You remember creation started with this? Creation didn't start with God and Israel. We learned this in perspectives, right? Creation doesn't start with God and Israel. Creation starts with God and the universe, because he's not just the God of the Jews, friend. He is the God of the universe. All of it. And all throughout scripture, there is this all nation recurring theme. And here's what he's doing. He's bringing all of this together. 
Verse 20, he says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together. That means, listen, that means this body is now put together, not on the basis of what we agree on or what we like, but based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that you are now my brother, you are now my sister, not because we see things the same way, not because we vote the same way, not because we sin the same way. We are now brother and sister because he poured out his blood and everything that once divided us now bows to that which unites us. This is what he's saying here. He is, I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. He goes on in verse number uh, 6 of, verse, of chapter 3, and he says, this is the mystery, guys. This is it, that Gentiles are now fellow heirs. They have the same rights and responsibilities. They are members of the same body. They are partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In a day of severe tribalism and polarization, I mean, that sounds familiar, right? But that was then. God took this people who hated each other, who were entirely different. They were different culturally. They were different religiously. They were different politically. They were different ethnically and culturally. And God, what he did is he welded them together so much so that they now were this new body, this new humanity, this new man, where everybody was on equal. Listen, to the Jews, do you understand this? Equality would have been inconceivable in the Jewish mind. And Paul says, not only is there equality now, but there's unity. Unity. Rebecca McLaughlin writes a book. I've recommended it to a lot of you, Secular Creed. Uh, Some of you have read it, said it was good. She says this, because we are all immigrants to the text. You know what that means? It means that you weren't here when he wrote it to you. Please don't be offended by that. It's just reality, okay? It was written to specific people at a specific time. Because we are immigrants to the text, it is hard for us to see the racial and ethnic walls being demolished by the gospel wrecking ball. And she goes on to talk about how that this modern ideal of loving one another across lines, whether they be political lines, whether they be racial lines, whether they be cultural lines, whatever lines, they, economic lines. She talks about this. She talks about loving people who are not like you is not a new idea. It's not a liberal idea. It's not a woke idea. It's not this modern movement. As a matter of fact, this is a Jesus-formed ideal. And if you pull Jesus out of this, you can't love across lines. You won't do it. I mean, do you understand what the gospel did? It brought people who were hot. Listen, the apostle Paul had prejudices deeper than you and I could ever wrap our minds around. And he's the one who's saying, God tore it all down. I listened to a black pastor last weekend, and he told me I hated white people. I hated them. I hated them. And he grew up just blocks from where I grew up, and he pastored just miles from where I pastored. I'm just thinking, why, why is all of this overlapping? Divine providence? Who knows? And so I just listened to him, and then he said, what happened was this, is God broke my heart and rewired my heart, and I became a pastor of a church that was cross-cultural and multi-ethnic, and I had to pastor and love and shepherd the people whom I once hated. Listen, you don't do that. You don't unless the gospel gets into you and rewires your heart. That's that's the only way that happens. 
It doesn't happen otherwise. Because here's why this is so, like this is crazy. This is crazy. Paul's theology of the church is this, is that it is this group of difference. They're just different people that have all been welded together, formed into this new man and this new community under the redemptive work of Christ. And God is using this new man to display his infinite wisdom and love and power, not just to the watching world, but even to the spiritual realm and the powers that be. I mean, this is mind-blowing to me that God would take this family of difference and he would weld them together and make them this new body. Nobody does that but God. So, because this is hard and we'll kind of land this plate on this. I want you to think about how radical this is. Do that with me for just a minute. Can I get all up in your business for just a second? If preaching like goes past you, we missed the point of what we were doing here. So I'm aiming for you, just so you know. You got problems with that, I'll give you my phone number and my address. We can talk about it later, right? So let's think about this for just a moment. This is counterintuitive. I love people who are like me. Anybody else? I mean, not that I can't get along with anybody, right? I can get along with most people. I typically do. But I gravitate towards people who are like me, who see things like me, who see the world like me, who interpret things like me. I, I, I just gravitate towards people who are like me. I, this, is, this is mind-blowing. I work on the weekends with some teenagers. They're 17, 18 years old, and they get in the truck, and they had just like one, like one punch after another at the current presidential administration. And so you're going, hey, man, I like those kind of kids. Where are they? Show me where they are. Here's the truth. They don't have any clue about politics. They don't have any framework whatsoever about politics. Their issues aren't with politics. Their issues are with people. Sit in this for a minute. Because they're getting this from somewhere, right? And truth is, they can fit in at a lot of churches, right? Because we love those who are like us. It's counterintuitive, entirely counterintuitive to love across like people who are like me. It's not only counterintuitive, it's countercultural. When we were talking about this Wednesday night, I wasn't alive in Vietnam. You know that, right? I wasn't alive during Vietnam. I was not there, right? You know that, right? Shake your heads. It depends on what time we get out of here, folks. Shake your heads. You know I wasn't there, right? Okay, a little bit younger, okay? Um, I've heard that sociologists today will tell you that our nation is as divided as it has ever been since the Civil War. I heard somebody argue that Vietnam was probably right up there with it. I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I do know is this, whether it was or not, I know that today is as hostile as I've ever seen it before. People are dividing into camps left and right. They're enemies. There's a whole theology. There's a whole psychology behind enemies. If you have an enemy, you have it, and what it does is it gives you a sense of control because you can blame somebody else for all that is wrong with everything. The reason why everything is broken is because of so-and-so. And so this enemy mentality kind of gives me this sense of control. Hey, listen, friend, you don't have control. I mean, just, we might as well just lay it down, right? We'll try to pick it back up tomorrow. Truth is, we don't have it. And so there is this whole multi-billion dollar industry that is designed to pull you into your sex and to make you love those who are just like you. I don't know if you know this or not, but media, not just social media, but media as well is designed to pull you in and feed your own beast. Hey, I promise you, man, I promise you, whatever beast you feed, it will thrive. Doesn't matter what the beast is. You feed it, it'll thrive. That's what beasts do, right? And so it is counterintuitive to me. It is countercultural to me. It is also counter church. 
Churches are by and large made up of people who think the same way, view the same things, sin the same way. Do you know why that is? Because that's easy, right? It's easy. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes my sons act like me. Anybody see that coming? They do. Sometimes you've seen it. And don't tell them, but I get a twisted sense of pride when they do. <laughs> I'm kind of just like, yes, where's my boy right there? Yeah, when they tell some stupid joke. I mean, not Robbie-level joke, but they tell some joke, right? I mean, they tell some joke, and I'm like, that's my boy, right? <laughs> or they do something stupid or crazy. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud, right? It's easy for me to gravitate towards those because they're like me. Poor kids. They're like me, Right? And this is counter church, man. Church, we just, I mean, because we think it's easy, so we even look for churches where everybody's kind of the same as us. Hey, can I tell you something? It may be easy to find people who are like you, but it won't grow you like people who aren't like you. It won't. I mean, people who aren't like you, that give you a perspective that you haven't seen. Listen, this is what Paul says the church is built like. It is formed into this people who are not the same. So what I want you to do right now is I just want you to bow your heads and I want you to just, I, I kind of want to do something that may be weird for you. If you're, um, if you're from a conservative church tradition, if you're not from a church tradition at all and this is your first experience with church, this is going to be really weird, I promise you. Um, so I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Sometimes getting our body to do what our heart is wanting to do and our mind is wanting to do is helpful in doing that and thinking that through. So heads bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to think about right now. What is the most significant cultural threat you feel like exists in our culture right now? Whatever it is. I mean, it could be anything. It could be like gun control. It could be abortion. It could be... Um, racial inequality and injustice. It could be anything, but I want you, um, I mean, just what I want you to do is I just want you to get what, what is it, and we all have them, and they're not necessarily wrong. I'm not trying to change your mind on any of those things. I just want you to understand that we all have what we perceive to be our cultural threats, okay? Now, I want you to hold your hands out and close them as if you're holding on to whatever cultural threat that is. And I want you just to open them and release it. As if, you know what? This may be important to me, but this isn't ultimate. It may be important to me, but it's not ultimate. And Lord, if I need to let this go because it is just a layer and it's just the husk, then I gladly let it go so that I can love my brother. Now, if I was really good at this illustration, you would grab a person's hand who's not like you, but I'm not that good. Now, you think about this. How hard is that? I mean, if you really got serious about the cultural threat that you perceive and that you feel, you know that that's hard. You know that that is ridiculously hard, but you also know that it is incredibly beautiful to lay down something so that you can love somebody in a way that transcends every ounce of different. It's not that our differences don't matter. It's not that we don't see them. 
It's that they're not ultimate. A love that transcends difference. That's what the church is. And it's made visible when we do it. Father, we bow our heads now in Jesus' name and we seek your grace because this is radical. I mean, this is just, this is crazy. And we want to feel that. We don't want to miss that. We want to feel the depths of it. We want to feel the weight of it. But we want to do it in such a way that it is not overwhelming, but in a way that pushes us to you. We want to be a people where it's safe to be misfits, where it's safe to be outcasts, where it's safe to be different, where it's safe to be strangers. We don't have to back away from truth to do that. But sometimes we do have to let go of things that are the layers that we've just been given. And so we pray. We pray right now that Grace Harbor, as she presses forward into the future that you have for her, we pray that she would be this family of difference where all of the things that might divide us, we might see differently, that all of those things bow to the blood that has redeemed us and to the blood that has united us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and as we prepare to take communion together?